Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Jimmy Wong, come on down. They said James Wong though, because you're required to have your legal name. Okay. Aaron Paul was also on the presses right once. Oh really? Yeah, from Breaking Bad. It's a very fun clip because you just see Jesse the entire time. He's like, yes, yes. He doesn't say the B word, but you know it's in there somewhere. That's awesome. How are you doing, everybody? It's uh, time for another episode of the Command Zone Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. Yes, today we're going to be talking about politics in EDH, Politics and Commander. We're going to take a look at some of the examples from the most recent episode of Game Nights, you know, all that table talk, the deals, the alliances, the threats. A lot of threats. uh, And break down how to use the social side of multiplayer magic to your advantage. But first... Make sure you head on over to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. As always, if and when you use that affiliate link, you are really supporting our show, Game Nights, all of our content, helping us to keep the lights on and make sure that all that stuff keeps happening. That's right. Well, what else keeps happening? You getting to write these outlines and pumping them out during this incredibly (laughs) busy month, which some of you have expressed condolences for. So thank you guys in the comments for that. Our other sponsor for the show is Ultra Pro. You can buy Ultra Pro product pretty much everywhere you go, from big box retailers all the way down to your local LGS. Local LGS, I always say that. Or at cardcame.com slash command zone. So thank you, Ultra Pro, for sponsoring this show. Yeah, make sure to check out those 100 packs of Eclipse Leaves and the Relic Tokens. I know they're hard to find. Uh, I did see Card Kingdom had them in for a second. I think they're gone now. Just keep your eye out. Hot sellers. Hot sellers. Hot cakes, hot cakes. Let's make a deal. <laughs> uh, the final way to support the show, show is directly at patreon.com slash command zone. You can contribute right to us um, on a per episode basis. You can set monthly limits. It's really simple. Our patrons are awesome. They get direct access to us through the a special sort of side comment area that only patrons have access to. Mm-hmm. And uh, we try to really respond to those people as much as possible. And really, our patrons... 
they're the really the lifeblood of everything that we do. And yeah, I want you guys to thank you are guys. <laughs> yeah. literally the heart of why this show continues to exist. Why Josh could quit his other full time job to be here full time for you guys making game nights and all that. And we do one special thing every episode. We call out a lucky patron. Oh, and man. This week, I don't know why you chose this one. I didn't well, choose it. The random dice chose it. This is a hard one to say. I all mean, right. no, yeah, it's a cool name. But this week's episode is dedicated to, to Kevin Carmarchevagol. It's like Emrakul at the end of his Kamar name. Kevakul. Karma, Karmarchevakul. 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 Marchesa's in there. Marchesa. Emrakul's in there. <laughs> Kevin, you got a Kevakul Kamal name. Kamal is in there? Yeah, yeah, his name is Kamal Marchesa Emrakul. <laughs> I don't know what... Oh, and Eva He's is somewhere the in there. Best legendary creature of all time. Yeah, Karmarchevakul. Kevin, you rock. And you know another big benefit the patrons get is actually when you cross a certain number of dollars uh, spent at the patron tier, you actually get to have our next piece of merchandise to you sent for free. And a lot of patrons have been very excited because they're going to get our next piece of merchandise, which is actually here right now. And if you are not a patron and want to get a piece of Game Night's history, well, we've just launched our Kickstarter for our last stand playmat. It's the playmat, the official first playmat ever for Game Night's. Josh, you drew this this beautiful piece of art. <laughs> I drew it? No, I said who drew it. Oh, who oh, drew sorry, it? Sorry, Josh, question to you. Who drew this beautiful piece of <laughs> if art? If I drew it, it would be a bunch of stick figures. No, the <laughs> art for this playmat was done by the spectacular Titus Lunter, who is a well-known or renowned magic artist. You may have seen... My favorite work of Titus is the uh, Invocation Wrath of God. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, my second favorite now because the Last Stand playmat art ah, is now yes. my favorite Titus Linter art. So we're really happy with how that turned out. We think... I don't know. I'm super excited to get it out on the battlefield uh, mm-hmm. at a GP or something and show it off. And I hope you are too. If you want to order this playmat, just look in the show notes. There will be a uh, link and you go to the Kickstarter... We must emphasize the Kickstarter has a limited amount of time, and once that time runs out, that's it. We're that's never going to print the playmat again. This is your chance. If you want to get a hold of Game Night's history, go on over there, order the playmat. We still get comments today. Hey, can I buy the Aftermath playmat? How do I get it? That was our first playmat, exact same deal as this one. Uh, again, after the 30 days is up, you'll never be able to purchase this playmat again. So head on over to that Kickstarter. All right, let's jump into the main topic here. Um, I, oh, I wanted to say really quickly, this is probably our last episode in this set in this room in this room now it may look the same my guess is it's going to look the same because obviously we're keeping the cool tvs uh sorry windows windows sorry i broke the yeah uh (laughs) uh, behind us so probably for most of you you won't be able to tell the difference but this is we've been here for a little while now not Mm -hmm. quite a year but um i'm gonna be sad to see it go so i just wanted to you know mention that i guess yep have a moment of silence please this episode might be a little quick literally tomorrow morning movers are going to be in here tearing the set down rebuilding it and in new locations where our office is moving so if it's a bit of a quick episode forgive us josh has just pulled off one of the most fantastic feats ever of putting on the game nights episode while taking a 10-day vacation while dealing with an editor's house burning down while dealing with me (laughs) i don't think i hindered you but you still had to deal with me in some respect That part was that part wasn't so tough. I was okay. fishing. I was like, while dealing with me, what did I do? Anything wrong? What did I do? Yeah, like, did I, do? I was like, mm, I don't think there was any dealing. <laughs> okay, so our main topic is uh, we're, it's a politics episode, but we're going to focus on alliances and deals. So we've talked a lot in the past about sort of politics in general, but today we wanted to really hone in on you know something that I'd say that happens in almost every game of Commander to some degree, right? Yeah. So it's the alliance, the agreement. The deal, actually, not even just Commander, it happens in multiplayer magic. So if you play Conspiracy, Brawl, anything that's got more than two players, mm-hmm. there's a likely to be a moment in the game where 
some kind of on on varying degrees of formality, but some kind of agreement or alliance or deal is reached yeah. for some amount of time. A wink, a nudge, yeah. a fake handshake, maybe a, a fist bump across the table. It can be all the way up to actual deal with actual hand. Oh uh, yeah, handshake with like contractual obligations too. Yeah. It can be like very very formal to like we're friends, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. We're still going to be friends after this, right? No matter what happens here. That's a good. That's a good point. So before we get into the politics. And I just want to stress that everything we're going to talk about is kind of like, it's like gaming, social manipulation techniques and things like that. And it's very important to keep all that stuff in game. Mm -hmm. So to keep your sort of game mentality and personality sort of a little bit separate than the outside. Like you don't want your, your game persona and what happens in game to spill over into your, like your real life and your actual friendship. So and and it's hard to keep it out. We all have those stories of somebody who like betrayed us in a game or made a deal it didn't, and you're kind yeah. of mad at them in real life too. Later, I would watch the episode with Prof, who realized that when he was doing that for his own glee, it directly affected his real life relationships. Yeah, and it, so it's hard to keep it completely separated. But I would encourage people to try and compartmentalize it as much as possible, and I'd think of it in that manner. And and you know, I like to think of Commander as like a cross between magic mm-hmm. and like a game of werewolf. Oh yeah, werewolf mafia, all those sort yeah. of social messing up, messing with other people kinds of games, or at least making deals, trying to figure out something together. Um, I would also say in werewolf in those games you play a role, so you're like given you are the murderer. Uh, let your commander in the game speak for who you are. I would say another big mistake some players make is they go in and they're like, when I play magic, I'm a maniac. Yeah, it's like well, no, nah, I mean you still want to be yourself, I think, on the field and let your cards do the talking in terms of the damage and the craziness that's happening, and let this be something on top. You're dealing, your political wheeling, something that is uh, beneficial as opposed to making other people dislike the way you interact with them. But I will say that alliances and deal making is a huge part of what makes multiplayer magic, you know, what it is. And if you don't have the ability to sort of make deals, negotiate deals, figure out the best deals for you, Mm -hmm. I think your win percentage takes a really big hit in the format. Like, it's almost like... huge. Yeah, it's almost like if you built your deck poorly, that's going to hurt your win percentage a lot. Yeah. If you handle yourself sort of in this social political aspect of the game that's going to hurt your win percentage a lot there's also like playing the cards in the correct order and stuff like that that'll yeah. hurt your win percentage a lot all of that is an equation that adds up to your total win percentage but this is an important aspect of it yeah and a lot of times too it's not just good enough to just be you know because you can play a good stuff deck or, or a deck that's maybe a six out of ten or a seven out of ten and find ways to victory in one v one but in politics, sometimes you need to be able to up your game in diff- up your political game in different parts. Like the end game is very different than how it starts. You know, figuring out how to negotiate a three-player table as opposed to a four-player one. So there are a lot of different elements to how you have to play this correctly to win more. Because a lot of people, I think, are you know people forget the end game exists and sort of just play to survive, and that will usually put you in a weaker position and actually have help other people win sometimes too. Yeah, and I think that. Being aware that this is a, there are moves you can be making will help, you know, in situations where there's a lot of players and especially new players to the format where they don't even see it as an option in their toolbox to pull out and use. And so they, they're confronted with a problem. Right. And they're only looking at like, well, what cards do I have in my hand? What it's in my deck? What's on the board as their solutions to the problem? And they're really not looking at that third dimension or that fourth dimension or whatever, which is 4D like... 4D chess. Yeah, which is like, oh, I have cards in hand, I have cards in play, I have cards in my library, and I consider all the cards my opponents have in the same places. And then I consider, oh, but socially, yeah, 
how can I manipulate the situation to get other players to act in the manner that helps me make the best moves or, you know, helps me get things done? Yeah, you can kind of think of players, other players as cards in a way. Not that you're, you're playing people, although in a lot of ways, politics is sort of using other people to your advantage. Um, and I guess that sort of takes us into what the first point you wrote down is, is what is an alliance or a deal? Because just straight manipulation of someone is only going to get you so far. It may be extremely effective for a short amount of time, but once people catch wind of it, it's not going to keep happening. So as a result, you need to be making deals. You need to be doing the handshake thing. You need to be making a mutually beneficial or at what seems on the uh, that, that the, the front of it, a mutually beneficial deal between two people. Yeah, so an alliance or a deal is at its heart a trade, right? I'm offering you something and I'm getting something or I'm asking you for something and mm-hmm. you're asking me for something. But it begins as a barter, right? Right. That's kind of the basis of what an alliance or deal is. A peaceful alliance. Yeah, 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 yeah. One made out of friendly terms. Because well, sometimes no, you step even in. Even if it's a threat, I'm right. offering you something, right? To not do something true, is, true, is an true. offer, right? I guess it's a, you can, you can, it can sort of be an open-ended barter being like, hey, I think I want this to happen. Or, a, hey, you need to do X. Yeah. Sort of more cert- on certain terms. Yeah, or X happens. But at the, very, at the basis, that's still a trade. Yeah, yeah. Because if, if you want nothing from them, then you don't make a deal. True. Right? Um. It also can be an alignment of interests, and sometimes trade is the same thing. But I'd say in the arch enemy perspective, which happened in the most recent game nights, where it's like Jimmy got out to that huge lead, so huge that like you should have let me win. That you know the avenue to victory was, or the the only possible avenue for Ben Cassius or I to to win that game was to team up, yeah, and sort of rein Jimmy in, um, and that was. Not exactly a trade, but it kind of was. It's like an agreement of like, listen, I'm going to completely ignore you guys and focus on Jimmy if you agree to do the same thing. Yeah. And that's the only chance we have. It was very unspoken too, which a lot of deals I think happen. I think the better you get to know your play group, the sort of the less you have to talk and barter to sort of make these deals happen. And in that case, it was such an easy recognition of like, okay, you're behind, you have lands, and I have the only, like, like you said in the interview, I'm the only person that can actually deal with some of this stuff. But I'm going to run out, even with this value-based deck. So it really required everyone to just sort of recognize, okay, great. We yeah. do this together. And, and, and I like what you said there, because it can be formal and it can be informal. So there's the, like, I think the episode with Kenji, where at some point, um, I don't remember what I did. I think I offered to sort of bump his life total with Tree of Perdition. Yeah. And I was like, hey, you want to go, you want to gain some life? We're friends, right? Yeah. Or you, sw- I think you swung a two-two being like, you're going to chump this, right? We're friends. Like, we want to yeah, do something yeah. for each other. And it was just like, yeah. And it, that, that was like... You know, you got to be careful not to push it. So in, in that aspect, I was just saying, like, I was just trying to get some goodwill. That's uh-huh. all, you know. But then in the latest episode of Game Nights, it was like, Jimmy, okay, the agreement is you don't touch my board. You don't do anything to my hand or my library or my graveyard. Attack me or anything f- until my next turn. Like, it was very specific. Like, yeah. And then for one turn, you know, and it was like, okay. And we didn't actually physically shake hands, but it was a... Understood. Uh, it was, uh, with like legal ramifications yeah. of like blah 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 and there was the you know there's the possibility of like fine print like jimmy could have maybe found a loophole in that and done it and been like you didn't say blah 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 and to your credit you're the kind of person that would go like well you got me yeah you know like i didn't define it clearly enough i mean there's a reason that the way that our the most intense structures of our deals work when we play against each other are we set all the clear parameters and then we give it a time limit yeah that's almost always how it goes it'll go like until he does this or until this happens or until usually it's a full turn cycle uh, which may need to be amended soon, actually. I think uh, I don't think we can give a full four turns to someone <laughs> anymore. Okay, so that's what deals are. They're basically trades or barters. Once in a while, they're in alignment of interest. 
the question, the next question is why are deals and alliances good and or necessary? So, you know, why do you want to make deals, basically? Yeah, so uh, in a multiplayer game, again, it's always 1v3 or 1v4. Uh, however, if you're able to find a way to align with someone, then all of a sudden it's a 2v1v1, or if it's a 2v2, or a 3v1v1, basically you're trying to find yourself on the winning position at all times, if you can help it. Because it's really easy to surge ahead and be the person in first, and then people will try and king of the hill and grab you back down, but it's really hard if you're constantly not winning. Because then you're not in a position to offer other people deals. People don't really want to align with you because you're weaker unless you can really offer them something. So I think you always want to find yourself in the majority. And so when you have resource disadvantage, you're one board versus three. If there's any way you can share lands, marry your families together, maybe you'll backstab them later. But find a way to make your forces a little stronger. You're going to be a much better spot in general. Yeah, I mean, if you think about a multiplayer game, you're always at a resource disadvantage to the rest of the table until there's, of course sometimes later in games where you can be in a position where you singly are powerful enough yeah. to take on everybody. But at the beginning of the game, they're drawing three cards. They're dropping three lands. You're drawing one card. You're dropping one land. Even if you're drawing two cards and dropping one land, you're still way behind. Yeah. And so, you know, you're almost always at a disadvantage to the table. So short-term agreements can sort of open up avenues of advancement for you and the person you make a deal with that wouldn't otherwise be there. Yeah. So it's really like a, hey, you and I are going to team up right now just for for however much time so that we can get ahead of the rest of the pack. You know, I think Wizards tried to do this with the offering cards. Yeah. I think they wanted to incentivize it, being like, all right, you're going to make an offer to two different people. One one person's going to get one thing, the other person's going to get the another thing. So you can find ways to sort of like leapfrog off each other. It's sort of like doing this to someone. You're putting your hands out so they can step on it to step up with the knowledge that they're going to you know, grab you and pull you up at the same time. That's sort of why you make that deal. It's because you're further along that training course or whatever, that boot camp, and then everyone else is still sludging through the mud trying to get to you. Yep. Um, so another reason that deals and alliances are good and necessary is that they can allow you to accomplish goals that your deck maybe, or at least the cards in hand at the moment or your board, um, is not equipped to handle. You know, right now maybe. So mm-hmm. let's say that like there's an enchantment out that's really bad for me and my deck and I can't do anything about it. I can make a a deal with another player to deal with that in exchange for something. And so that opens up an avenue towards solving a problem that I can't solve on my own. Right. Um, so those are my favorite kinds of deals, by yeah. the way, because it's getting rid of something. And if you can't do it, someone else is using a card to do it. You're giving them a little bit of goodwill being like, Hey, I did this for you. So maybe this will come back later on. But if the person recognizes the enchantment is strong enough, they can't really, it's like being teamed up on at the playground. It's like, Hey, like when the two people go against the bully, like, no, 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 you're going to stop doing this. The bully's not really in that position to be like, well, I wasn't doing anything wrong. Right. It's like you were doing something wrong. We all recognize that we dealt with it. So the repercussion that you'll have politically isn't that strong because everyone else looked at you and went, don't do that. So I would encourage people to think about it because there's been a lot of games where something happens and like it really hurts one player and that player's like, that's card sh- sh- shutting off my deck. Yeah. You know? And I always think Blood of that. Moon? Yeah. Blood Moon is a good one. Um, yeah, there's can be graveyard hate or things yeah. like that. Um, enchantment, if you're mono red or mono black, can be really, really tough. And in those circumstances, my thought is, if you're the mono black, black player or the mono red player, like, okay, well, what are you good at? Can you trade that for something? Like, hey, mm-hmm. you might be able to get rid of that enchantment that I can't touch. I'm really good at killing creatures. What do you <laughs> want? Can I, can I kill something for you? Can right, I blah, right. blah, blah? If I'm in green, maybe can I give you mana somehow? Or like, what do I do good? Can I trade that? 
you know, it's a division of labor, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Or, or how can I convince you that that also needs to get dealt with because it hurts yep. your deck? Yep. And this also opens up another avenue, which you talked about, which is that sometimes you use that to get rid of something, not because it's super bad for you, but just because you want it gone, but you don't actually want to use your own resources to make it be gone. There have been times where someone plays an enchantment and I have a better enchantment in my hand. I'm like, that has to go yeah. now. Wow, man, bombs away. Let's go, get, get rid, rid of, of it. it. Yeah. yeah, and you're like, whoops, oh my gosh, I just drew it, I swear. Yeah, oh my gosh, you just use your enchantment removal? Well, that's too bad. Oh, bummer. Yeah, exactly. And those are the kind of tricks that you can play and it, you're tricking somebody, but at the same time, you're doing it legally. Like, you're not lying about the deal that whatever deal it is that you make. You know, a lot of times, like I said, Red's really good at certain things. Well, they might be good at attacking. And they would be like, listen, I need you to get rid of that enchantment. And they're like, well, why should I do that? Well, how about I don't attack you with all my stuff? Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's a pretty good reason. Yeah, Boom. that's a pretty good reason. Yeah. So I have 50 damage on board, bro. And, and what you said there, and I want people to remember, each party is ultimately trying to win, right? Each deal should be made with the idea of giving yourself a long-term advantage. Mm-hmm. And long-term can mean over the course of even multiple playing sessions. Um, and I've, I've talked about this on the show a lot, which is that I don't, I don't like to like straight up break deals um, and betray and backstab people because I believe it cost me too many games in the long run. Yeah. of not making deals available to me because I'm not trustworthy. And I think we saw at the end of the last game nights how Cassius sort of followed that too, which is like, yeah, he could win that one game. But he weighed and, and decided that the, the cost over the course of, you know, every time he plays with us might not be worth it. Not only that, but I will say there were a lot of comments being like, Cash did the right thing. I'm really yeah. proud of him. He could have totally won that. Cash was the winner of this game. Right. So, like, he had the people's favor, you know. and it's He a, was honorable, and he, he, yeah. he maintained his honor even though he could have... He could have probably he could have easily won. just done this, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. Out. And um, but I think that that's generally the right play if you make a deal to stick to whatever the deal is. If you can find a loophole, that's great. Yeah, like if Cash could have say wiped my board there, mm-hmm. that would have been totally fine because he didn't say anything. He just said don't attack you for the next turn. Yeah, if he could, maybe he found a way to mill you out. You yeah, know? That, that's a that's I think almost one of the best ways to like aha, but we didn't put this in the clause. Exactly, <laughs> totally fine. He's not betraying anything, and then it doesn't cost him games over the long run because it's not like people aren't willing to make deals with him. They just yeah. are more careful when they do. So um, I do, but I did want to stress that. Remember when you make deals and think about it when you're making the deal. Your ultimate goal is win the game. Yeah. So you know, make deals that are of best long-term advantage for you. Okay, so let's talk about when is a good time to look for a deal. Like when in a game are you usually... Because we don't usually like land drop. Hey, want to make a deal? <laughs> you know, I mean, first land. Yeah. I play, you know, it's usually turns five, six, seven, eight, somewhere in there starts to be like deal-making territory. Yeah, so I'm the kind of person that is always looking to make a deal. Me too. But... Uh, there is, I think, a little bit of a disadvantage to being a little too accommodating or too willing to say, like, yeah, sure, let's go with something. I would say there have been a lot of times when I should have been like, you know what, guys, I'm good. Let's just keep playing. But it's hard to resist when, when people it's are It's fun, like, too. People are, yeah, people are coming up to you with, like, gift baskets. You're like, oh, I mean, yeah, I like fruit. Like, oh, oh sure, I'll take it. I mean, if people haven't noticed, and you can tell by our Game Nights episodes, like, our playgroup really likes the yeah. political part we like the banter and the making of deals like well what can you offer me well i can offer yeah. you this. like we have fun with that part of it so it yeah. tends i'm like you where it's like somebody will offer me a deal and i'll be like i'll just kind of like at least barter and then come to an agreement even if i don't really even need it it's <laughs> like well i enjoy that aspect of it you know? yeah and it gets it kind of like it benefits me a little bit in the long run but not too much um but usually you want to look for deals when you are 
a super far behind. Yeah. Um, and this is the hardest deal to make st- still because you don't want to make pity deals. I think that a lot of times I will take pity if it's a new player or maybe it's like, oh, you should have played a better deck. I didn't know if you knew how good you know Cassius's eight is compared to what you think an eight is. Um, and so in that case, it's like, okay, sure, I'll help you out or, or you know, I have feeling a little goodwill. But in general, if you're far behind, making that deal is one of the hardest deals to make. It, I think it, you know, none of this is completely in a vacuum. It does have to do with deck building, right? I think it's important to build your deck with some punching power from behind. And a lot of that punching power can be Path to Exile. It can yeah. be, you know, Merciless Eviction. It can be, you know, build in ways that your deck interacts because that's a thing that people won't want to have happen. And you can be in the last place and the first person is in first place by a lot. And Path to Exile could still be a pretty good threat that you could at least flash and be mm-hmm. like, listen, don't kill me right now. Uh, you'll still be able to do it, but you'll be hurt bad enough that it won't be good for you. And that, yeah. why don't we just make a deal instead? And now you can go after somebody who's more of a threat to you and I get to survive a little longer. Yeah, and not only that, but you also, I do this a lot too. If I'm like the games I've been manuscript being like, my life for yours, my liege. Like, I'm, what can, I'm point all, me. Point me. <laughs> Use I'll me as a weapon. A cannon, because it means I get to play more. I know I might not be winning this game, but it still gives me more of a shot than just sort of sitting there and being like, well, my game's over. And then when someone attacks you for lethal, you're like, all right, I'll path one thing. You and know? people will very often take because they're looking for a reason to keep people in the game really like generally unless you're in a tournament or something very competitive you know when we're playing most of the time like i'm not looking to knock somebody out super early so they have to sit there and watch everybody else play yeah (laughs) so it's like ah give me an excuse to keep you around yeah but if if it's like i can't just leave you there with a knife at my back either Mm -hmm. so yeah it a lot of times you can find sort of a willing participant even when you're in the last position if you could just give them a little something not to mention how many games have been decided by a player going like well if i attack you i die to this and so they don't want to waste the resources you know they could like maybe slowly peck you down over a few turns but then they're not really gaining anything because you'll just hate them and you'll start attacking them or trying to get rid of the thing that's killing you and if they all out swung it could be bad for them too so in general, you have a lot more power as sort of the scrappy underdog, like sitting in the corner ready to fight because you have nothing to lose. And that's a very important factor uh, as opposed to someone with the rich board state, someone that has been building this, making deals the whole time. If you're just willing to go in there and nuke everything that you can because someone told you to, then that, I mean, that's like a great incentive to deal up with someone. Um, another reason or situation where I like to look for a deal is when I'm far ahead. This is actually a very precarious position to be in commander. I would say generally, especially the very first person to be noticeably ahead in a game does not win. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes the next person after them still doesn't win. You know, a lot of people think sort of in commander, you know, st- strategic philosophy that sort of perpetually being in second place for most of the game is where you want to be. Mm-hmm. So you're the most powerful, but not the one that everyone's aiming at. So if you're far ahead and you turn around and you find yourself in a position where you're far ahead, it can often be correct to try and make a deal with somebody just to limit the amount of people that are teaming up against you and give yourself an actual chance to, to, to close out that game. Um, this one's good. This one is something that I don't think many people think about because it's I think for the most part people it's easy to see the game in a very black and white. Like I'm ahead and I'm winning or I'm not, and right. I'm not winning as opposed to like, this is a long-term battle. There's gonna be a lot of side attacks, front attacks, guarding, allying up. Cause I feel like in a regular game of commander, you probably make three to four major deals. If, if you're playing sort of the style that we do, but you wrote here when you, you want to make a deal, when you're trying to secure a flank, 
Um, and a flank, if you don't know, is a is a combat maneuver where if someone's attacking someone else head on, one of the weak spots they have, imagine you're a soldier with a shield in front of you, is your side and your back because you can't guard from two different directions at once. So you see this in a lot of movies. Oh, here comes the flank. It's cavalry over the hill. They didn't expect it, and they charge through, and they blow through the side of this because the army wasn't protected. Um, that's why the Spartans were such great warriors because they were able to like make a shield wall. A shield wall, yeah, on all sides. Things, yeah. yeah, so... I forgot the name. A phalanx? Phalanx, yeah. yeah. Uh, so phalanx are very good or in phalanx, this case. Phalanx, I think you said it right. Yeah. Uh, that might be just the name of the the, the amount of people in it. I don't know. Um, it's the overlapping shields with the long spears. Yeah. yeah. Uh, very hard to, to beat. But for the most part, it's very hard to do that in Commander. Like, like you saw in the last game nights, as soon as I was attacked by everyone, I literally couldn't keep the, 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 the major fort I had built up because there are too many holes in it that people could find ways to poke through. Um, but you wrote here, take an action without fear of repercussion. Um, and that's great because if someone is attacking someone else head on and you're able to nip at them at the side or, or get in sort of that one hit, that little poisonous stab to the side, it's very hard for them to say, let's pause this fight. This guy just did this thing. Can we all focus on this right now? Because it's not going to happen because they have to still focus on what the main threat of the battle is. Yeah. So a lot of times you'll be in a situation in, in commander games where it's kind of stalemate-ish. Maybe somebody's a little ahead, somebody's a little behind, but there's, you know, it's like you said earlier, any action I take opens me up to counteraction from mm-hmm. my opponents. And in that situation, it's a very good idea to be like, okay, well, so what I don't want to happen here is counteraction. So how can I secure my flank? And you can do that a lot of times with words. So yeah. just say like, you know, to the person, like I want to take this action, but I'm worried that when I do, that opens me up to you. If you just give me a verbal, I won't, I won't, you know, take advantage of this this uh, temporary opening that you've provided, then I can do something and I'm hurting somebody else. So it might be in our, both of our favor, mm-hmm. you know, or you can be more aggressive and say, otherwise I have to do that action to you and offer that deal here, you know, and that's another way to, to sort of put it. But if you can get that deal from somebody, now all of a sudden you can take an action because you're not worried about reprisal. Right. You know, like you said, I can face you one-on-one. But it's hard to be like trying to hit you with my sword if somebody if I don't know what these other two people are gonna do. Yeah, and actually, this happened. This, that exact situation happened with Rivers Rebuke. Yeah, which is like I'm gonna if I don't point this at you, if I, if I don't point this at him, I have to point it at you. So do you want to deal with me or not? Yeah. Which one? Yeah, exactly. Which one of those two things do you want to happen? You or not you? Yeah, probably not you. <laughs> um, there's a couple more reasons to possibly make a deal or an alliance with somebody. One is to just establish goodwill with a player. This is something I say you do sort of lightly, and a lot of times you do it on an action that you probably would have taken anyway, or at least mm-hmm. like it's qu- close to equivalent to something you would have done e- anyway. And it's sort of like, you know, help them out a little and just be like, you know, I'm going to help you out. I, I think this helps us both out, so I'm going to do this. Yeah. And it's not like you formed an alliance, but what you're doing is setting up for later when they just have a little goodwill towards you, you know? You can sort of point to that. Oh, we're, we're still friends, right? Remember when I did that for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those things are usually kept within the vacuum of that single game. Yeah. Because um, oh, yeah. those are the things you immediately remember, being like, right, I could have passed your commander, but I didn't. Yeah. I did this instead because we both agreed on it, you know? Like, th- those are the kinds of things I think, unless you're really good friends with the person, then that maybe will spread onto more games. Um, you also wrote down here to blunt potential alliances among my rivals. And the way that I'm interpreting this is... 
you either try and slip in a deal with someone that maybe will all, like, let's say Craig and me always make a deal. So you know that, okay, these two decks, oh my gosh, these commanders, if they work together, then it's all over. So you try and slip in and try and make a deal with one of us before that natural alliance is going to form no matter what. In that case, you're stopping the alliance. Or if you're just making a deal with someone else, you're able to shield up against someone else that may be trying to deal with someone else. Yeah, I think that's an axis, again, that not enough people think on, which is like, okay, you need to secure a flank so you can take uh, an action and not face uh, reciprocity. But everyone else can do that too. Mm -hmm. And if they do that, it's kind of a zero-sum game. There's only an X amount of players, and there's only so many deals that can be made among those players. And so if Jimmy makes a deal with Craig, that's kind of net negative for me. Right. And so you know, being aware of that social dynamic between the other players that necessarily doesn't include you and slipping in and getting you know maybe the deal with Craig to cut off the deal with Jimmy, even though what Craig has I don't really need or blah, blah, blah. Right. It can be a really good strategy to just keep yourself safe. You know, secure your borders from you know an evil alliance that's going to team up on you. Right. Um, okay. So the next question is, who should I make a deal with? Either one of us. We're always looking for it. <laughs> that's true. Sometimes Jimmy and I will make deals and then go, "Crap, we're going to deal with everybody." Yeah, that happened last. <laughs> uh, happened in game nights where I was like, I can't even use Nicol Bolas's ability <laughs> because I literally made a deal with everyone. We cut it out of the episode, but at I. I I think because a lot of people were talking when you said it, but you're like, I you like asked, well, can I can I plus two them? That doesn't really hurt anybody, you yeah. know. That's just looking at the top of your deck, and we we're like, nope, that's against <laughs> the deal. You said you wouldn't touch our libraries, and you're like, crap, crap. It's like uh, I did say that. Oh man, I shouldn't have included that clause. <laughs> that was severe burn. That was like hour four too. It was like, yeah. oh gosh. Um, so I would look for a player who has or can do something that. I want, mm -hmm. or they have or can do something that I don't want to happen. So, you know, it's both sides of that coin. Like, if he has a really, if he has an Ulamog, and I don't want it to swing at me because I don't like the Annihilator, then I am incentivized to try and make a deal right now yeah. with the Ulamog player. Whereas at the same time, if they just have something like they can get rid of such and such, I'm incentivized to make a deal with that player so they can do something for me. Yeah. So it kind of works as a, th you know, if they got something threatening or they got something good for you. And if a player needs or wants something that you have, for instance, yep. maybe you have the Ulamog or maybe you have the, um, the what was that card, that one three black and white kill a thing, exile thing, or procession. Uh, uh, profane procession. Profane procession, yeah. yeah. Like that's something that they want to use of you. That's a person you're going to be making a deal with. Uh, I will say that, when you have the thing that other people want, you're in a much better position than if yes. you're going up to their doorstep and knocking on their door and being like, hi, can I get this from you? Because I would say, like, think about like a car salesman, a really good car salesman. It's like, you may already have a car, Josh, but did you know that your AC is so outdated compared to this? Like, look at all the things that we have that you didn't know you wanted until right now. I think that's more effective than going up to someone being like, I want that. Yeah. And that because if the other person could just go, no, <laughs> I don't want to do a deal with you. You're still going to need something to trade them for. Yeah. But making a deal with somebody who has nothing you want doesn't make a ton of sense either, you mm -hmm. know, because what do you get out of it? Uh, I like what you said there, too. When you have something the other players want, then it's that's a good position. Like, I, I see this too many times where somebody plays something and it's big and scary and then they don't capitalize on having the big scary thing. And let's be honest, most of the time, you know what you're going to do with it. Mm -hmm. And it's usually, not always, but usually going to affect one player more than the rest. Which means, but the other players don't know that. Which means you can go to one or both of the other players and be like, listen, I'm not, 
going to use this on you unless you, or, or I might use this on you unless you have a good reason for me not to. Yeah. Well, that's great. And I didn't, I'm already going to do the thing that I'm going to do, but, but they don't know that. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of times they're like, uh, what if I make such and such a promise? Okay, good. I just got that for free Yeah. because I wasn't going to do anything against them anyway, but they don't know that. Well, that takes us to our next topic, which is how to make a deal. How to make a deal. And that would be another first category of making an overture, uh, which is basically making a statement to the table, making something publicly known. Hey, Craig, I I might swing at you with this thing. It's got an aller or two on it, bro. Like, why should I not? <laughs> yeah, can you convince me otherwise? Yeah. Yeah, that's an overture. You're making an overture. You're sending your diplomats over to talk to his government, and they're like, King Craig. <laughs> yes? I've been sent by my leader. We have a great host to bring against you. We have no desire, however, to slaughter your people. Just that we could if we wanted to. But, you know, you have nice things here. If you give us a little bit of the nice things and then no one has to actually die, then everyone wins. Now, you are technically taking someone hostage a little yep, bit. Yep. But at the same time, in your, when you're in a game of commander, you're not actually sending diplomats over to do that. You just have a creature that's sitting on the board. And unless there's a very good reason to not attack anyone else, that you, you essentially send out three diplomats at the same time, right? To each different player, if you're in a four-player game, saying, I could do this to any of you. Let's go around the table. Tell me who should I, I should attack. And Even when you just go, who should I attack with this? You're sending your diplomats. Right. You know? Or when someone else asks you, who are you going to attack with that? So that's an overture too, right? You can make to another player, which is like, and you and I do this constantly. All the time. It's become like a overused statement in our play group, which is like, it comes to my turn and you go, who are you going to swing that at? <laughs> and the player goes, a lot of times the player just goes, well, not you. Yeah. Because they already know. <laughs> By the way, I didn't even say anything like I could destroy it or yeah. whatever, but I just got that face, uh, th- that look on my face of like, I can't deal with that. I really don't want to have to waste my turn doing that, but yeah. I will if it's going to swing at me. So if you just give me assurances it's not, then everybody can go about their merry business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not to mention, when you ask that question too, it's great. Like, who are you going to attack with that? You force everyone else to also consider like, oh, I might get attacked by that. Yep. It's interesting because and I found so much of this, the diplomacy is like taking a way to shift attention away from yourself when you should be the attention. Yes. You're like, I'm, I could swing this at any of you guys. Who should I not swing at? And now all of a sudden, now they're in the conversation with each other being like, well, it can't be me. Yeah. Look at him. He's, he's awful. <laughs> yeah. Sir? It's like you put yourself in this position. You're like, well, I don't know. It's like, I'm not the bad guy here. <laughs> yeah, even though I'm you, swinging the yeah. thing. <laughs> you guys are trying to tell me who's the worst guy to swing yeah. at. Well, like, Mel makes a very good point. I'm going to swing at you, Craig. Yeah. Whose fault is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. You know, a lot of times it's an overture is the pointing out of the scary things on the table. So you can be like, yeah, we know that such and such player is going to do this because look, he's got food chain and blah, blah, blah. And it's yeah. this. What are we going to do about that, guys? You know, and that's an overture of like, you're just, what can you guys do about it? Can we put our heads together here and piece, you know, together an answer to what's about to happen? I've yeah. got this piece. Does anybody else have another piece? This is the most often when I'm actually in need of a real deal because I know that I can remove one creature or I have a board wipe, but I don't want to reveal it to everyone. I just need to know what other pe- You're trying to gain as much information as possible, pretty much. Right. And you want to say, well, I'm going to do this, but that move is only good if it's followed up by yeah. you doing your thing. So can we make that deal? Um, okay, well, here's one that's outside the box a little bit. And I caught a little flack for it. It's... <laughs> yeah. um. Can you? Will you crack that sentinel totem right now? 
Well, to be fair, a lot of the Game Nights viewers didn't see the whole discussion that went behind this. And a lot of the discussion was a lot of my cards also went to the bin because I discarded for having drawn a billion cards. And there were some scary things in there. And I'm playing five colors, right? No one knows if I can regrow stuff out of my graveyard. I could have been playing Muldrotha in my deck, you know, as well. So on the discussion of the Sentinel Totem was like, well, look. Let's lay it out for those who didn't watch. So sure. Ben had a Sentinel Totem, which he can sacrifice to exile all cards from all graveyards. I'm playing Muldrotha, which is a graveyard-based deck. At the moment, Jimmy is in such a powerful commanding position that Ben, Cassius, and I are in a de facto alliance just to bring him to heal. And I ask him at the beginning of my turn, will you please just burn the Sentinel Totem so the threat of that is gone so I don't feel bad filling up my graveyard and looking for an answer. Yeah. So I don't have to be careful about like calculating, okay, well, I don't want more than seven cards in there because otherwise he just kill destroys me. Right. It was before it was your turn. You had the choice. Okay, I'm going to mill myself for two. Ben, when are you going to crack that thing? Because if I'm looking for answers and you do it in response to me milling or after I mill the answer, then we're not going to be able to deal with Jimmy as much as well as his graveyard is getting full up. So it was, and I, and I even turned to Ben and be like, well, Ben, if you're going to do it at any time, you need to also, you're doing it because you want to get rid of Josh's two planeswalkers in his graveyard. And that's a very big threat. I didn't think the game was going to go as long considering I was in such a commanding position. But ultimately, it ended up being a very much a, well, this is obviously great for Josh because this is the single p one card out of the entire deck, out of the entire board, even more than Nicol Bolas or any of my board, that is imminently damaging and incredibly bad for his deck. Is that single card right there. Yeah, later in the game, it was going to be very difficult for me to beat. And I'll be honest, I was trying to trick him to use it. Yeah, oh, because I, was I would too. <laughs> because I was thinking like, right now, I've got a sort of de facto alliance with Ben. So he's already sort of, predisposed to helping me we're all on the team against jimmy right yep there'll be no better time than right now for me to convince him to use it and <laughs> some people thought it was kind of scummy i don't see what any way like i said that is scummy about it right ben's trying to win the game ultimately i'm trying to win the game ultimately ben could easily be like no no i'm just gonna hold on to it and you know what if he would have done that mad respect i would have been like okay fine because he would be calling my bluff my bluff was at the moment with that out there, I can't go full bore against Jimmy. Mm -hmm. And he would have been saying, yeah, you're still going to go full bore against Jimmy because regardless of whether I have this out or not, you're going to lose to him. Yeah. And, and you also had the sweet enough pot, which was like, I have two Planeswalkers in my graveyard. If I'm able to untap, I can replay Vraska. And you're an artifact-based deck, Ben. Like, I can start blowing your stuff up. I can so it play. is somehow good for you, too. Yeah. So yeah. there was, you know, there's a lot of things happening at that moment. But I think my my problem was like, I wish Ben didn't crack it, of course. But I'm in no position to tell anyone to do anything. And, <laughs> and I tried later on. I tried to, this was also cut out of the episode. But I literally went to Cassius like, Cassius, do not make that deal. Oh, we'll talk about that later. But it just, would, yeah. So it's really <laughs> interesting the how effective your words can be at a certain point but that's an overture right i'm just literally asking him to just waste a thing not completely waste like you said he was getting rid of some stuff yeah but i was just taking advantage of a moment where we were sort of on the same side and i think you got to look for those moments because that was answering something that was very hard for me to answer and like we said deals and alliances and this kind of negotiation is a good use of it is to deal with things your cards can't mm-hmm because if I'm in that position and I'm just relying on my cards, maybe I'm just dead to that card. Yeah. You know, I'd like a Manglehorn and stuff in my deck, but um, okay. And then... always crack it in response. Yeah. And another way to make a deal is to listen for the overtures of your opponents. So all that stuff we just said is stuff your opponents can say. So Jimmy might be like, who are you going to attack with that? Mm -hmm. He might not even be talking to me, but I know Jimmy's fishing around for a deal. And so now that's an opening for me to maybe start a dialogue with Jimmy about a potential alliance or deal because he's saying I want something. Yeah. 
And sometimes I, it's like, hey, who are you going to attack with that? And I'll turn to the person and be like, I can deal with that for you, you know? And yep. boom, you've got a deal right there. Someone has put a need and overture into the world, and you're listening. You picked up on it. Yeah, and Jimmy's doing a couple of things that we said, because even in that, you might be um, thwarting a potential alliance that that person might have. Right, with someone else. Because they might have to. said, well, I won't attack you with it. Now they've got a little alliance. But Jimmy cut in and said, well, I'll kill it for you. And now right. I've got an alliance, and I cut off an alliance. You know, you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. the political machinations... Oh, so good. So much fun. Machinations. Machinations. Another, another great word. <laughs> okay. Um, a really important thing to sort of always be calculating when you're playing this deal alliance game is keeping track of what you have that gives you leverage and power and what your opponents have that give them leverage and power. Yeah. You know... If a deal or alliance is a trade, you need to know what everyone has available to them, including yourself, and you need to know what value it has to you and everyone else because things have different value. If I've got five creatures, but they're all kind of little, it's like I'd prefer somebody doesn't attack me, but you know, if it's seven damage, it's not worth a ton. Yeah. Pick your battles. Yeah. Right? You might not even make a deal in that sense. I mean, I'll usually at least try to deflect it, but I won't try super hard. Like... You don't want to attack me. Remember when he made you discard two cards a second ago? Yeah. And even if they do hit you, you can be like, great. Well, like, I'm going to remember this. Yeah. You know, like, it's not. Get something out of it. Get something out of it, right? Don't make a huge deal out of something that isn't a big deal because you're going to lose the ability to make a huge deal out of the things that do matter later on. So learn how to pick your battles, but don't just give people free value. That's in general, especially in the multiplayer game, when that option is available, shouldn't let people have it. And and sort of judging the value difference between what something's worth, like an enchantment, like aura shards might be super bad for somebody else mm-hmm. and you just don't have anything that it hits. And so, or maybe you got one or two things, right. they're not high value. And so the value of getting rid of that to you is worth less than to somebody else. And when you're making your deals, if you keep all that stuff in mind, you can kind of maximize mm-hmm. you know, your value by being like, oh, he really needs this to happen. Yeah, totally. So I can take advantage of it because what he's going to pay me in response for it is sort of out of whack with what I think you know it's worth. Yeah. Um, I wanted to remind everybody here, and we talked about it earlier, but one more remember, uh, reminder, only one may stand. So all deals are ultimately temporary. They have to be. The goal of everyone when making a deal is to get the better end of the bargain. There's nothing wrong with this. This isn't being a bully or scummy. This is how anything. deals are made in real life. Yeah. And there are mutually beneficial deals where everyone gets the better end of the bargain. But in real life one of us doesn't have to win in the end right so the game is ultimately not played in the same way that real life deals are made there's a lot more win-win i'd say in real life than there can be in commander because commander ultimately is set up in a manner only one may stand and you're all stuck at the same like i can make a deal with you today and never see you again and we both go our separate ways but in commander you are sad at the table you're never gonna see me again sorry bro (laughs) it was a really good deal part of the deal was never seeing each other again But in, yeah, in Commander, there's always going to be... So just keep that in your head. When you're making these deals, these alliances, when you're having these negotiations, they're trying to come out ahead of you, and mm-hmm. you should be trying to come out ahead of them. doesn't mean you're trying to just necessarily screw people over, but at the same time, yeah, you kind of are. Like, as much as you can get away with. Yeah, without ruining the, the sanctity of friendship for the most part. It is still a game, and it starts when you sit down at the table, but don't, again, don't do stuff that 
in your good conscience is going to actually affect you outside the game. Keep it, keep things within the game, you know? Don't Learn. be like, hey, if, if you don't do this, I'm not buying you lunch. Like, whoa, yeah. okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's why we said keep things in game too. That's outside the game. Even though yeah. it's funny for Cassius to offer me 49ers tickets. Yeah. You notice I just cut that off immediately. I was like, let's keep it in game. Yeah. How would you just don't attack me? And Cassius too was very yeah. much kidding. Like, he, was he knew that that like, in the same way as I offered you to say I would leave the podcast yeah, exactly. at one point. So <laughs> it was a, a, a based off of Cassius' joke. It was, it was all it was, for good funny. fun. Yeah, yeah it's all for yeah. good fun. Also, I want those tickets. But <laughs> okay, so now we're into the tips and tricks section yeah. of the alliance and deals making political process. Tip number one is ask for more than you're going to give. Mm-hmm. This is just, it's super basic, but really important. And you'll be surprised with how often it works, right? Uh, and I'd say like one of the baseline deals in our play group is very often like, you know, a non-aggression pact. Yeah. A, you don't do anything to me for one turn. Mm-hmm. You know, that's very valuable to you depending on how scared you are of the person or scared of reprisal from like whatever you're going to do. Um, and a lot of times you can get that for very cheap. Yeah. I mean, because it costs the other person very little, right? It feels like it does. Yeah. yeah. They're not, you're only cutting them off from attacking you. Um, it's not, maybe they weren't even playing on attacking in the first place. They might think they're getting the better end of the bargain. But then you play like Minds Dilation or something like that, you know? Yeah. And it's like, that doesn't directly hurt them, but they didn't know about it before you made that deal because, of course, you're smart and you made the deal after you untapped, after you drew, before you played anything. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm saying, like, you don't, you're not going to do anything to me. You're not going to attack me. You're not going to try and destroy any of my stuff or anything like that. They're like, yeah, okay, deal. I won't destroy your thing. Play something big and scary that they're like, crap, I wish I could kill that thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you're like, nope, we have the deal and they have to just sit through it. Yeah, even asking for stuff like if it's like, hey, don't swing at me for one turn cycle, you can just escalate that. They're like, don't do anything to my board, don't touch my stuff for one turn. You know, it doesn't need to be like, that creature don't attack me because you're giving them more ways to get out of it. And honestly, here's the thing, and it's kind of ties into improv where it says go bigger on your first instinct because it's easier to cut someone down than to try and build it up. If you ask for a little bit and then start asking for more, it's way worse than just asking for something a little more in the first place. Um, same goes for deals. Let's say it's like, hey, Josh, uh, I want to give you $300 for that. <laughs> and you're going to say, no, 150 and I'm like, okay, fine, 250, like 200, like 225. All right, cool. Now, if I was like, Josh, I'm gonna give you 200 bucks for that, 100. Okay, uh, how about 150? Right. 125. Like, you just lost a huge amount because you didn't start a little higher in the first place. But it's better than me going, Josh, give me $10,000 for that. Because then you just get laughed out the room. <laughs> well, and I like what you said there because it goes to the next tip and trick, which is counter offer. Don't just take what's offered. This is something, and I think even veteran players make this mistake all the time, where if somebody comes to you with an overture and an offer, they need something from you and they came to you. So mm-hmm. they're naturally more desperate than you are, which puts you in the more powerful position, which means you should try and whatever they get, they offered you, they're willing to give a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And so you'll notice like uh, in in the Game Nights episode, I make a deal with Cassius. Jimmy decides I better make a deal with Josh. I don't want to get Rivers rebuked. And he's like, let's make a deal. I'm like, well, what are you offering? And he says, I won't, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I go, hold on. How about nothing you just do you know yeah just cut off everything you know it's like i countered his offer and he's like okay you asked for more than yeah. i was trying to give to you yeah right exactly and 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 that's where the deal was made and i think i should have countered with that being like all right well give me two turns <laughs> <laughs> give me three turns me, you should always try and counter a little bit if they're coming to you if they're in the position uh or sorry you're in the position of of more power there if you're going to them it's harder yeah because you know they didn't come to your doorstep you came to theirs mm-hmm. um Number three is my favorite move in negotiating of all kind, which is just say no. 
You don't have to take a deal just because somebody offered it. And we just mentioned how we're not good at this. Yeah. But it is very powerful. And I like to do it a lot when somebody like makes a threat at me. And I say, man, go ahead, just do it. Yeah. You know, I don't like to capitulate to threats all the time. But sometimes you're like, well, I really don't want you to destroy that. I will make the deal. But be a little unpredictable because it makes you more powerful in future negotiations. They can't just come at you with a threat all the time. It's not necessarily going to work. And I think this is the danger of being a newer player in a very political heavy group, which is the people that are really good political players will immediately zero in on the people that are always going to take the deals that may take the really bad ones too and not realize it because they just haven't had enough experience being backstabbed by the deal. Not by the person, but by the deal that they made. So... That's definitely something to be to be careful of. And saying no in business too and in life ends up usually doing pretty well for you because it's so scary what the opposite is. It's like, hey, Jimmy, you got an offer to be in this movie. Here's how much they're offering. And you, if you go to them and go like, no, yeah, I want more. Sorry, that's uh, it's just not enough. You, you can't, open you can't up do it. the literal door that says, okay, we're just not doing it anymore. And that's like the single most terrifying thing in the world. But usually saying no puts you in a position of power even though it doesn't make it seem like that in that situation the the you know the studio or the production company or whoever you're dealing with you think what goes through their mind is like well screw that guy but what actually goes through their mind is man he didn't take the offer he must have a better offer he must be worth a lot more he, th- he certainly thinks he's worth yeah, he a lot thinks more. maybe we should probably go to him more? maybe we should up the offer because i mean what does he have another offer from something else what you know a lot of times too it's like okay we expected him to say no okay yeah. cool now let's do our normal thing you yeah, know? but if we had to take a shot at just like paying yeah. you half of what you're worth because yeah. <laughs> you might have just said yes. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, and I think it's very powerful just in the long run when a deal's bad for you or you don't need it to say no in magic because also it brings in a lot of doubt if somebody goes, oh, I'm going to do this to you and you're like, have at it. Yeah. Unless you blah, blah, No, I'm not going to do what you said. Go ahead and do your thing. And now they're like, crap, will it work if I do it? He clearly knows I'm going to do it and doesn't seem scared yeah, of it. Yeah, does he have something in his hand? He is yeah. on tapped. And now sometimes they won't do the thing that they threaten to do because, yeah. and you defang them in front of everybody else. It hurts them. There's some counter move there. Um, it's not a move to pull out all the time, but I do like pulling it out from time to time. And worst case scenario, sometimes they do the thing to you. It's bad. It's bad. You don't win that game. But you also establish yourself as someone with whom you can't just roll over all the time. Yeah. And that's why I would say, and this next one is one of my favorite quotes, it's thinking outside the pumpkin. Not the box, but the pumpkin. Yep. And that your deals don't need to be as simple as I'm going to attack you with this. Your deals can be a lot more flexible. So, Sakama yeah, activations. Is yeah, we put one. down some deals we've seen people um, sort of make so i've seen deals for like zakama activations yeah just in a game the other day another player was offering like hey don't don't mess with what i'm doing i'll allow you to choose who i i think the player had zakama and seedborn muse out (laughs) and they said i won't activate zakama targeting any of your stuff and you can choose once per turn one target for wow. Zakama. That's an enchantment if I've ever seen <laughs> That's one. Like, wait, I have like one third control of your Zakama? Yeah, pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but by the way, that's way better than like, I'm going to attack you unless you do this. Because, you know, like when you threaten that and you don't, you have to follow through. But the Zakama activation puts a little power in their hands. And boy, what a great way to deflect Zakama. Because in other people, I would go to that person and be like, hey, you get one activation? Yeah. I think you should go with that thing. Yeah, maybe can you destroy that artifact? Yeah. <laughs> So that was a deal I've seen. That's thinking outside the pumpkin. Um, I've seen literally negotiating exactly what creatures are going to attack whom. Yeah. Like, you know, okay, but then you attack this person with that one and this person with that one. You know, that's the deal. Um, this is one that came, it, it got cut 
from the last game nights, but in my very last deal with Cassius in game nights, um, I was not I, about it. I actually part of the stipulation for me making the deal with him was he couldn't make deals with other players. Yeah. So I was like, listen, we'll make one more deal. I'll kill Jimmy and Ben. You don't attack me the following turn. But in addition, you also can't make any alliances with either of them. And I was very much at that point being like, Cassius, don't make this deal. You're not going to win the game. Josh is doing this to win. I've seen this happen before. Well, of course I'm doing it to win. Nobody's making a deal to lose. I know, but Cassius just could have not taken the deal too and figured out something else. I think he was um, kind of in an impossible situation at that point though. I think well, the the engine was too vicious. Actually, I think to, he to, very easily could have won with just something that gave Trample because he oh, did have sure. that one attack. Yeah. So actually, if you think about it, he, I think he made the correct choice from the standpoint of I will have one chance, one turn to win this game. I just have to draw the right card, and I have the emblem out. So yeah. I'm going to draw a lot of cards between now and then. So what did he have? A 50-50 chance, maybe? He had the card in his deck, too, yeah. I think. Yeah, uh, Ronas. Ronas, yeah, yeah, Ronas, to give Creatures to give Trample. Creatures Trample. And so, you know, it just so happened Ronas was, like, the second card from the bottom, and he never quite got to it. But if, let's say, it was the 10th card from the bottom, he would have got to it on the turn where he mm-hmm. got the big attack. And if he had Trample that turn, I was dead. So... He, if, if, I don't know that he made that exact calculation, but he gave himself an avenue to victory. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen to hit, but I don't know that he made the wrong choice. Um, but, you know, back to our earlier discussion, that's not something you would normally think to make a part of your deal, right? Yeah. Part of my deal is no deal, you don't make deals with the other players once we make this deal. And that's thinking outside the pumpkin. And, and and there's a million things that you can come up with within the game world. Remember, within the world of the game. But think outside the pumpkin. Think about the things you want or the ways that, you know. And it's that doesn't feel like a big, what's the word? It doesn't feel like a big um, a big thing for Cassius to give that, right? If you came to oh, me and right. you said, I'm making a deal with you. And, I, and part of the deal is don't make deals with the other two people until, you know, as long as our deal stands. That doesn't feel like it cost me much. No, because usually it's like, well, that makes sense. If you make deals with other people, it could undermine this current deal or whatever. So it's not the worst, but I think if people recognize it, it would, I mean, looking at it now, of course it's incredibly dangerous because right. that's the only thing that would threaten you is if everyone else re- like was able to gather their resources in the same way that everyone gathered against me in the first part of the game. Right. Um, yeah, and that was what exactly what I was trying to guard against was like, okay. Even though I'm at on- that point, I think you were beyond safe, but yeah, that would have been the only thing I think. that Right, I was just cutting off the only avenue I saw to... Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Two more uh, tips and tricks. One is other deals are getting made around the table. You're not involved in them. It is your job at that point to undermine the alliances that are happening. And that's another reason why I tried to make that deal because I knew Jimmy's going to come in and try and undermine that alliance with Cassius. We just tell him to not make it. <laughs> but it's like, okay. uh, remember that episode of Game Nights was pretty early on. I think you and Craig, I don't remember what the deal was, but you guys actually like reached across the table, shook hands. Oh, yeah. And then you played like a Dak Vaden and stole his Thrawn Dynamo like maybe two turns later. And I was like incessant about like, oh, he may shook your hand, then he steals your thing. <laughs> and like just kind of po- poking fun of it and making, because I'm trying to create fissures and cracks in that alliance. I'm trying to make it, Craig feel like he's justified in now doing something later Doing something on. to you, yeah. yeah. It's too bad that it was, it's never going to happen. We're best friends, so. <laughs> <laughs> something to always keep your eye out for, though, is that that sort of defensive yeah. uh, uh, undermining of your opposing alliances and deals. And then, you alluded to this already, Jimmy, the final tip and trick oh, yeah. is, and this is the biggest one. I have one more after this, actually. Okay. You're going to like it. 
the I think this is the biggest one in the whole episode because it's very easy to talk for an entire episode about alliances and deal making, politics, all that cool werewolf stuff. Yeah, yeah, manipulate them and use your psychological know how. Don't overdo it. It can really backfire on you. Yeah. So just be careful. You can't pull out all the tricks or even very many tricks at all in any given game. You have to sort of use them wisely, use it a little bit. Every card you play cannot be a deal-making card. I know, and I can tell people who have just kind of discovered Commander or gotten into the political side of the game, and they're mm-hmm. just trying to be political with like everything they do. And the other players at the table, just they know it, and they're, they kind of laugh about it. And it, like you said, it sort of hurts you later when you really need to do something. It's like the boy who cried wolf, right? Yeah. Yeah. So be real careful. Keep a rein on it. Only pull it out when you need to. You know, it's just like driving on the freeway. If everyone's going at a certain speed, you got to be close to that speed. You don't mm-hmm. want to be like going 120 when everybody else is going 70. You're going to stand out. The cops going to get you. If everybody's going 90 though, you can keep up with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so if there's a lot of politics going on, you can up the amount of tricks and politics you can play. But if there's very little in the game, you got to be careful and just pull it out once or twice. Yeah, I think a lot of people have a distorted view of you as a player too because when they see you play publicly, it's on game nights. And I would not play with you every time if that's how you played every single time. There are so many games that we play where Josh is just having a lot of fun or doing something underpowered and being silly and maybe winning, maybe not winning, but not being incessantly like, I'm going to politic the situation or whatever. Those moments still come up, but it doesn't define who he is as a player off camera at least i mean i'm very political in general but i do tend to like consciously be like no politics for the next couple games because i was really political a second ago yeah and i don't well, want people the, tire of it immediately yeah exactly i don't want the play group to be like uh yeah you know? great we have to do this entire dance again. as well again now yeah. josh is here yeah exactly you and you don't want that at all and that will actually hurt your winning percentage which is another reason that you don't want to do it so yeah. yeah um and i think honestly if you look at the last few game nights i wasn't very political you know the loading ready run episode, not super yeah. political. The Craig uh, Mel episode, not super political. It was just like okay, but this one felt like it was more that kind of game, and it was time to pull it out. Also, it gets exacerbated on game nights because I have the interview. Yeah, you're like doubling it up. You're putting music and sound effects behind it, and then I'm talking re- about like here's what I'm doing politically, and then and then later on you're directing. Someone's like, we need you to react a little more intensely to that because it was really mean what I did. And you're yeah. like, oh no. Yeah, exactly. You know? So you're like giving people the emotions <laughs> to have. Uh, paint yourself out to be the villain. All right, the last tip and trick is uh, you're going to like this one. You know, what's better than having a few opportunities to make deals in a game, Josh? What's better than like, okay, now's my chance to maybe jump in here and make a deal? Having more opportunities to do so. And you can do that by putting Fidalkin Orrery in your deck, <laughs> which allows you to make deals all the time. <laughs> because that's you the have reason the ability. we love the card so much. Yeah, it's great. It's like, oh, I can do it on this end step. Then you just have the freedom to just have a lot more, you know, politicking put into your game because you can say like, hold on, hold on. I can do something about that now as opposed to waiting for your turn for a sorcery spell, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Maybe that is a reason. I know there's a, still a lot of controversy around that card in some groups. We always get a few comments of people saying that they don't think the card's good and it's the card is amazing. I Maybe just they're not using not, it to their full yeah, value. But then. it might not be great. And I can understand competitive EDH decks are comboing off, comboing off on turns five and six. You don't have time to play a card like that in that mm-hmm. kind of meta. But for most groups that are moderate power level, that card's insane. But maybe it's not as insane if you're not politically taking advantage of it and you're not sort of using maybe. it to be like, are you sure you want to attack me? I could literally flash in anything in the world right now. Yeah. You know, or, um, you know, I got Vidalkin. I could maybe do something about that. What, yeah. what can you offer? Who knows? Who knows? 
All right, to the listeners, what's the craziest thing that you've ever seen uh, as a part of a deal in a game of Commander, or just the craziest deal you've ever made? Uh, I want to know, like, the craziest stipulation, yeah. Yeah, big stipulations. (laughs) I even want to know if you guys did take it outside of the game world into something else. Like, I remember doing political deals uh, because of Ashnod's coupon. There was a card that we drafted in uh, in the cube draft where you you can sack it to make someone get you a drink. Nobody wants to do that. No one wants to do that, yeah. So I actually made people not do stuff thanks to Ashnod's coupon. But I would love to know, uh, yeah, in general. I remember playing a game of... Of risk once it wasn't oh gosh but, that game <laughs> but politics and risk are very similar or can be very similar and uh, friendships do get broken in that game though. and after the game because of a deal made in the game somebody had to make somebody else an omelet that's all i remember <laughs> <laughs> they like got up cracked the eggs made them an omelet because that was the deal wow. that got made during the game wow you know what else is a great deal what? By going over to cardkingdom.com slash command zone, you get a great deal by not only supporting this show by using our affiliate link, but you also get to use Card Kingdom's resources. Uh, they are incredibly fast at shipping. They often have great grading on their cards as well as a lot of cards as well. Actually, we've been selling them out on a lot of different things, so we apologize for that. But they've got all sorts of stuff on that uh, that isn't just magic cards. They've got products as well, and they've got sleeves. They have board games. They have all sorts of stuff. So please... Cardkeem.com slash command zone, our sponsor for the show. That's our affiliate link. Yeah, speaking of sleeves, deck boxes, binders, play mats, all of that stuff, use our other sponsor, Ultra Pro. They have been with us for a long time now, really supporting game nights and this podcast. And they make the best products. You know, their play mats, bar none, are sort of the creme de la creme of all play mats. Mm-hmm. And the Eclipse sleeves, now in 100 packs, and Relic tokens, if you can find them, super sweet, spice up your battlefield. So check out Ultra Pro. Support the show. You know, speaking of Ultra Pro. Speaking of playmats. <laughs> and you know who made our playmat for our newest Kickstarter for the Game Night's official playmat? That's right. It's Ultra Pro. Right now, our Kickstarter is going on. We did this for our Aftermath playmat. Uh, is it? Do you have one over there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's grab that. So Ultra Pro is the uh, sponsor for the show. They also are the ones that we go to to make our playmats because, again, just the top highest quality that they can have. This is the Aftermath playmat. No longer available. You can't buy this anywhere in the world because we had a Kickstarter for it. And right now we're doing the exact same thing for our Game Nights playmat called Last Stand, drawn by Titus Lincher. Make sure you head on over to that Kickstarter and order it. Otherwise, you will never be able to get it again when the uh, campaign is finished. Yeah. Our last stand is super cool. There are some hidden Easter eggs in there, like the Aftermath playmat. Get on over there. Kickstarter. All the links are in the more info box below the video. Okay. Now it's time for the end step, where we talk about something outside the world of magic. I'm thinking about it. I'm yawning. Just (laughs) pretend like, um... um... Okay. Here's one. Okay. Avengers. Ah! So... If you haven't seen Infinity War yet, which is evidently the, the biggest, biggest opening domestic. domestic movie of all time, which I'm sad about because I was a part of the one that set the record before that, which was Force Awakens, and it got beat by Infinity War. It's so, like, what, 250 plus like, million? It's 250, yeah. yeah, exactly. So if I you haven't seen it... I um, lost my record, so I'm a little bit sad. Uh, your record. It was all mine. Force Awakens was all Josh Lee's <laughs> record. Um, if you haven't seen it, I... I We'll try to stay away from spoilers, but I can't promise, so so get away if you haven't yeah. seen it. If you, have, you haven't seen it, actually, just turn it off right now, the podcast. Bye. Good seeing you. Don't forget to check out uh, Masters Craig, of Modern and Craig Blanchett. It's the show. Terry Robertson, Jeffrey Palmer. Okay. Avengers, <laughs> Affinity War. Um, what'd you think? 
I enjoyed it because I, you know, one of the things I really didn't like about The Last Jedi, even though I liked that movie more than The Force Awakens, was that they took all of our characters and sent them off on different paths yeah. and then had them convene at the end. And one of my big complaints is you had Poe Dameron and Rey, literally two of the most important characters in the movies, meet each other for the first time at the end of the second out of three movies. That's crazy to me. I think the Avengers uh, Infinity War was good because it did a really good job focusing all around one storyline and having the characters weave in and out of that story. Um, with the exception of Loki a little bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, it felt like a, a pretty good payoff for everything they've been setting up for like a decade now, which yeah. is impressive. The scope of it was pretty insane. Like you kept going like, holy crap, holy crap, holy, holy crap, crap, holy, holy crap. crap. Like they just kept piling superheroes on top. Um, so I liked that aspect of it. It was loud. That part was good. I mean, you know, you want the, the scope of it. Yeah. You know, it felt huge and epic. Um, it felt huge and epic in the right way. Like, I like how they had Thanos' biggest battle on a deserted planet, right? It didn't, you didn't have the scenes of the, ah, the humans running away, of, like, here comes the destruction of the Earth. Right, because they've already done that. They've done I, it a billion yeah. times now. I mean, they had the battle on Wakanda, so it felt kind of... Um, that was their big scope it battle, It felt right? Return of the Jedi-ish, yeah. right? You, like, you have one big ground battle. Meanwhile, you've got um, Thor trying to do the... Yeah, hammer thing at the same time. Meanwhile, you've got the um, battle with Thanos. Going Vision. On. So you've got the three. Yeah. It's really the Star Wars, and I don't know if they invented it, but they always try and do it now, where they've kind of cutting between the three things that are all interconnected mm -hmm. in the epic finale of. We the did movie. that in video game high school too, by the yeah. way. The exact yeah. same thing. <laughs> yeah, because it's a formula that works and and it's compelling and you know. Um, in terms of a cliffhanger, though, not bad. Because you got Pretty everything good. you wanted out of the movie. You got all the fights. You got the story development. And it really felt like the movie was more about Thanos than anything else. Um, they that, really tried to humanize him, give they, him a lot of dimension. I thought that was good. And Thanos, actually, in the trailers and stuff, I didn't. he bugged me a little. But once, you got, boring, yeah. once you got into the movie, I was like, oh, they're doing a good job. I actually think Thanos comes across better in the movie than he does in the trailers and yeah. stuff. Especially I thought he was going to be kind of lame. Me too. He seemed very one note. And that was my problem with um, the guy that, uh, the first Guardians of the Galaxy, the bad guy in that one. Yeah. Was just like the dark. Yeah. You know, he had the purple stone in his yeah. staff. He just blow everything up. Oh, angry. And I was like, oh, great. Here comes Thanos. Another angry blow up everything kind of guy. But, you know, they did a really good job, I think, fleshing out his character. Um, and even though he looks so goofy still and weird. I, they got to get a little... I'm tired of the rubber humans that always show up in all these. I think we may have talked about this before. Maybe not. I don't think so, no. Just, they, how have they not gotten better at making just humanoid figures just look better in motion? Because, man, once the superheroes start jumping around and punching each other, it looks like a bunch of gumbies. Yeah, wing! Like every time they're like jumps, stretched. It's like, yeah, yeah, they like don't... It just doesn't... It could look better, and with the amount of money they're spending on this kind of stuff, you'd think they would have got that down a little bit by now. And that, that becomes distracting to me. And Thanos, yes, there were certainly points where he just didn't move realistically. Yeah, he um, kind of thumped around a lot. Just Yeah, just the way. I don't know. But he was still cool. Like I, I, yeah. The best parts about him were like he seemed like a real character with like real like, yeah. ambition, emotion. Like his motivation, like I bought it. Yeah, and it was interesting too because it, you know, overpopulation is an actual thing in the real world. That's an argument people have made on Earth for sure. Yeah, and so it was interesting to him saying, like, look at your people now, Gamora. Like, you know, we split them in half, and as a result, now they're thriving, and people look up and they're so happy every day. And it's like, oh, he actually wants people's happiness, but he just is sadistic in the way that he wants it. So it was, it's, I think Marvel's always been really good at finding those hot button issues like that. Um, the whole Civil War issue is similar uh -huh. to like, you know, following the rules versus breaking them. The, do the ends justify the means? Like, yeah. that's Captain America or Iron Man sort of 
you know, in, in that dynamic. And I think this was another sort of interesting one. Um, and obviously it's been written in the comics before, yeah. but they've done a really good job adapting it to the future. Uh, in the original Infinity War, I don't think this is a spoiler. I think everyone literally dies except for Cap. And then he's the one, you know, in this period of time when these comics were coming out, I think, you know, American patriotism was at an all-time high still. So Cap was the one that came in and brought it back. But um, I don't know. I, I was interested, too, because I didn't realize Doctor Strange was going to be such a big part of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I wouldn't have thought so, but you have to realize, like, they're so far in advance of of these movies. Like, they had to plan this movie four or five years ago and yeah. plan every other of the ones around it that, like, you know, probably if they knew the outcome of the box office of certain movies, like Black Panther or whatnot, yeah, they, they would have adjusted the level of yeah. involvement of we these We would have had one characters. less Thor and one more Black Panther movie. Maybe, probably. yeah. So, like, <laughs> and it also is what tells you that, of course, they're going to solve this little problem they caused at the end of the movie because, what, are they not going to make a Black Panther 2? Of course they are. The of course movie they is are. like one, It's like the second biggest movie it's of all time. cultural phenomenon, how yeah. big it is, yeah. Yeah, so... Anyway, they apparently have movies up to 2024 and 25 planned out. So, that, I mean, I remember at some point seeing a big list and it had like a timeline and it was like, you know, insanity. They have so many movies and every one is planned and they all have to be in some way interconnected. Yeah. So they know they have it planned. Not to mention they got better at connecting them. Do you remember when in Iron Man 2, I think it was, they started throwing in these extra scenes? At the end, yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, this is ham-fisted. It's a little hard to deal with. But they did a really good job sort of figuring out their errors and improving from them. Something that I don't think, we're, I mean, I hate giving credit to big blockbuster movies when I love independent films and it's like how you compete in a world like this. But they've done a very good job staying smart and fresh. You know, just look at the other major motion picture franchises of another world of comics i mean and how poorly they've done yeah dc's just got all kinds of different problems and part of it is just their inability to sort of be relevant yeah. in like the modern era and they've had that since like the 40s and 50s and they never seem to be able to get out of it like marvel feels relevant in the things they're talking about and the mm -hmm. things they're doing um so anyway if you haven't seen infinity war then what the hell are you still doing here yeah what are you doing but i would recommend it i think it's good i think, I think so good. too and you know i kept asking myself throughout the movie if i had never seen any of the movies would this make sense to me and it's like Kind of. You wouldn't get as much of the inside humor. Yeah. You I wouldn't mean, appreciate the characters as much, as much, but the story makes sense. It's a big, bad purple guy. He's trying to destroy the universe, and a million superheroes are trying to stop him. I don't think you need a ton of context to get that, but yeah. But it's also be stupid. It'd be like watching the season finale of uh, <laughs> season seven of Game of Thrones and trying to figure out the hex. Actually, that'd be way harder than trying to watch that Infinity would. War. All right. Oh, you know, I was going to say earlier in the episode, pay attention to shows like that because there is so much politicking in Game of Thrones. And like, you know, someone overdid it in Game of Thrones and he was the best politicker of them all. Later. And then some of them didn't do well enough. And also, Arya got him. Got him. Got him. Got him. Uh, all right. I don't know what that has to do. It doesn't with the Masters of Modern Podcast, but you should still check them out because they're our sister podcasts and they talk about the modern format, all yeah. things competitive mal Malik magic. Malik. Alex Kessler, Malik. Ben Bateman, who was on the Brawl episode of Game Nights with Cassius. Yeah, that's their show. You can find them at the MMCast on Twitter or right next to us on Collected.Company. Yeah, they've got the modern stone on their gauntlet. We've got the command stone. Alex, man, if you ever get into a uh, oh, conversation yeah. with Alex about Star Wars or Marvel. like You thought our conversation was even somewhat deep? Oh, boy. Alex will literally in. Blow, yeah, blow you out of the park in terms of what he knows and, and his analysis. is He's playing like 7D chess at this point. <laughs> he's Ask also probably mysterious. read like every 
Reddit post about and Wikipedia it. about yeah. it, yeah, for sure. <laughs> he his his knowledge is encyclopedic. Um, our editor for the show is Craig Blanchett. Our editor for Game Nights is Terry Robertson. You can check out all of their content and the things they create at youtube.com slash the command zone podcast. And as always, special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer at Living Cards MTG for uh, making the Living Card animations that start and end the show. Stuff like the things you see behind you as well. Cabal Stronghold. Very cool. Oh, yeah, basic swamps only. Yeah, we got it. Yeah, we, we screwed up the analysis. It's still pretty good, though. Yeah, still pretty good. DJ got it out against me in a. Uh, oh, really? With a mono black deck, and Ooh. he was tapping it for like nine mana. And Ooh. I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, it sounds about right. All right. Um, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Peace. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.